today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. rash vows or hasty promises. Matthew 12, 37, Jesus said, for by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned. Words matter to God. They do. Jesus said in Luke 12, 3, what you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. God hears it all and words are important. That's why marriage vows are so important. Because God hears them. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Judges. Having integrity and being a man or woman of your word seems like such an old-fashioned value in today's modern society. Yet, it's a standard God has held up since He first spoke the world into being. So, while it is old, It's not old-fashioned because it's not ever going out of style. In today's message, Pastor Gary teaches on just how much our words matter to God. We can learn from Jephthah to not make rash vows. Be slow to speak and be faithful when you do make promises. After all, your Heavenly Father keeps every promise to you. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for part two of today's message titled, Words Matter. Whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. That's what he says there. Now, let me show you how the story plays out. Verse 32. Then Jephthah went over to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gave them into his hands. He devastated 20 towns from Aror to the vicinity of Manith, as far as abel Karamim. Thus Israel subdued Ammon. When Jephthah returned to his home in Mizpah, who should come out to meet him but his daughter, dancing to the sound of tambourines? She was an only child. Except for her, he had neither son nor daughter. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and cried, Oh, my daughter, you have made me miserable and wretched because I have made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. My father, she replied, you have given your word to the Lord. Do to me just as you promised, now that the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the Ammonites. But grant me this one request, she said. Give me two months to roam the hills and weep with my friends because I will never marry. You may go, he said. And he let her go for two months. She and the girls went into the hills and wept because she would never marry. After the two months, she returned to her father and he did to her as he had vowed. And she was a virgin. From this comes the Israelite custom that each year the young women of Israel go out for four days to commemorate the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite. All right, your attention here. This is what I mean by he's quite a complex guy. I mean, on the one hand, he's a mighty warrior who is filled with the Spirit of God. And on the other hand, he makes this rash vow, a vow to sacrifice whatever first comes out of the door of his house, happens to be his daughter, and he makes good on his word. 
That's what the text tells us. Now, notice again the words of his vow, because this is going to be important to the rest of our study. Verse 30 and 31. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord, if you give the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's, and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Now, this raises a few questions, okay? Here's the first question I have for Japheth. What or who were you thinking would be the first thing to come out of the door of your house? You know, were you thinking about the neighbor you didn't like? Who were you thinking here? Your lawyer, maybe? Your mother-in-law? I don't know. Who were you thinking would be the first one to come out of the door of your house? Because listen, unless sheep and cattle are living in your home, the likelihood that a legitimate sacrifice is going to come crawling out the front door of your house is practically nil. The chances that something on two legs opening the door versus something with four legs, it's probably going to be something with two legs. And in fact, it is. It's his daughter. She comes out here with tambourine. She's dancing because dad is home. What is he thinking? The fact is, we don't know what he's thinking. The truth is, when any of us say something impulsively, we aren't thinking. And that's probably the case here. Now, some say, and I'm going to give you both sides of the argument on this story, some say that he actually had in mind an animal sacrifice. He wasn't thinking at all about a person. He was thinking of an animal sacrifice because, and those who say that point to the fact that when he mentions whatever comes out of the front door of my house, I will sacrifice it. It in the Hebrew is in the Hebrew masculine. And that would be consistent with Leviticus 1.3, which talks about a burnt offering is to be a male from either the flocks or the herd. And that Jephthah was probably thinking a male animal, and that's the sacrifice, Leviticus 1.3, and that's what I'm looking to see come towards me. Now, again, they will also say, and this is true, that the door of my house can be a broader term that means basically the entrance to my home. So it could have been like, you know, as he approaches the perimeter of his property, you know, that he's coming into the entrance of his home, and so there he sees an animal. So it could be that he's actually thinking about a male animal sacrifice that he's going to offer as a burnt offering to the Lord. That's possible. The second question on the heels of that is, did he actually sacrifice, did he kill his daughter as a burnt offering to the Lord? And I will tell you that scholars are equally divided on this. There are many who say, yes, he did, and there are many on the argument who say, no, he didn't. And I'll tell you first, those who say, no, he didn't, will hinge the interpretation on one word in this vow, and it is the word and in verse 31. Because those who believe that, in fact, no, he didn't end up sacrificing her, what he ended up doing was dedicating her to the Lord as a living sacrifice will point to the word and, and they will say, and there's some truth to this, that that word and in the Hebrew can sometimes be translated or. And when you change that one word, it completely changes the meaning of the verse. So let me read verse 31 again using the word or. Whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's, or I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. And those who say, no, 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 he didn't really kill her, he just meant he would dedicate her, Interpret verse 31 as an either-or statement. Either I will dedicate to the Lord or 
I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. And because it was his daughter, the interpretation from this point of view is that he ended up then dedicating her in lifetime service to the tabernacle, which was a grievous thing for him because she's his only child. And now he's going to give her to the priest for lifelong service in the tabernacle. And he's not going to have the relationship with her that he once did. And neither is she going to get married and have children because her life is going to be dedicated to the Lord at the tabernacle. And that's the way that they will interpret that. In a similar way that Samuel's mom, we'll read about Samuel a little bit later. But Samuel's mom was unable to conceive. She made a vow with God and God gave her a son. And she said that she would dedicate him to the Lord. And she took him to the tabernacle and left him just after he had been weaned. And that's where he was raised the rest of his life. And some say that's basically what Jephthah did with his daughter. He didn't sacrifice her, he didn't kill her. He took her to the tabernacle and she became in lifelong service to the Lord. And that's why then she wants time with her girlfriends to go in the hills and cry because she's never going to get married. She's going to go in service to the Lord. And so spend a couple of months just crying over the fact that she's never going to get married, which is kind of ironic because most people cry after they're married. But anyhow, <laughs> and so she's saying, you know, let's give me some time. And so dad does that. Now, that's one interpretation. And I will tell you that that interpretation that Jephthah dedicated his daughter to lifelong service at the tabernacle rather than sacrificing her is almost exclusively a Western interpretation because it appeals to our Western sense of rationality. It is completely irrational in our Western minds to think that a father could possibly sacrifice his daughter. And so we kind of work the text to appease our offended conscience. The fact of the matter is that all through the Old Testament, we see when Israel was at the height of pagan idolatry that they sacrificed their children all the time. It's offensive to us. It's offensive to God. But it is not that unusual, sadly. The Valley of Ben-Hinnom today in Israel, right there by the Temple Mount, the Valley of Ben-Hinnom is also nicknamed the Valley of the Children because it was there that the blood of the children would run from the sacrifices of their parents in the worship of Chemosh and Molech during the time of Israel's history when they were involved in such pagan idolatry that they sacrificed their own children. So most Westerners opt for this idea that he probably just dedicated her. But I can tell you that almost all of the ancient Jewish literature and the words of the rabbis, almost all of them interpreted this passage as that he literally sacrificed his daughter that he made a rash vow, that he regretted it, but he carried it out because he wanted to follow through with what he said, which is why in Jewish literature he is seen as foolish, ignorant, and among the worst of the judges. And in the Jewish Midrash, now the Jewish Midrash is a compilation of ancient rabbis. It's a book of commentary, basically, on the Old Testament. It is not Scripture itself, so let me preface the words by saying that it's not Scripture itself, but the Jewish Midrash a compilation of the Jewish rabbis' commentary on the Old Testament, the Midrash says that because Japheth made this rash vow and actually sacrificed his daughter, that God punished him by turning his flesh to rot off his body and his limbs fell off. That's what the Midrash says. So when you look at the Jewish perspective of this passage, it is much more about the interpretation that he actually sacrificed his daughter. And... My two cents is worth only that. But I happen to believe that based on the ancient Jewish writings and the interpretation of the text, that in fact he probably did sacrifice his daughter. That's my opinion. But when you look at verse 40, it says that every year the young women of Israel go out to commemorate her life. King James says to lament her. 
assumes that she dies. We don't know for sure, though. Truth is, we don't know. And the real hero of this story is the daughter. Because whatever happened to her, whether she was dedicated in lifetime service or whether she was actually sacrificed, she was willing to do whatever it took so that her dad could honor God with his words. She was the courageous hero of that story. So, what in the world was he thinking? Did he actually sacrifice her? One more question that will launch us into some points from the story is whether he sacrificed his daughter or dedicated her, what can we learn from Japheth's foolish vow? Here's the first thing for those of you who like to take notes. The first thing is this. Don't make rash vows or hasty promises. No matter how this story really ended up, and that part's a bit vague, there are some things we can clearly take from this story. One is, don't make rash vows or hasty promises. Matthew twelve thirty seven, Jesus said, For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Words matter to God. They do. Jesus said in Luke twelve three, What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. God hears it all. And words are important. That's why marriage vows are so important. Because God hears them. When we stand before God and we recite vows that we will love, honor, and cherish for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, and forsaking all others, we'll cleave to this one and this one only until the day we die. God hears that. And he expects us to live out the words that we promise. Unfortunately, tragically today, marriage vows have become so disregarded, it's almost like as easy as changing your request at the drive-thru at McDonald's. I was going for the fish fillet. Scratch that. I'm tired of the fish fillet. I want a quarter pounder now. Can you change my order? That's kind of how we see marriage vows now. It's just that easy to disregard. I've changed my mind. Almost like somebody upgrades to a new car. It's like, you know, I've had this older model for a while. I want the latest and greatest, you know? Kind of tired of this one. I want the greatest model now. I want the latest one because, you know, her engine don't purr like it used to. We turn something as sacred as marriage vows into just, ah, you know, I'm just going to change my mind. Change my mind? No, listen, Proverbs 20, 25 says it is a trap for a man to dedicate something rashly and only later to consider his vows. Ecclesiastes 5, 2 and 3 says, Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. As a dream comes when there are many cares, so the speech of a fool when there are many words. Ecclesiastes 5, 5 says, It is better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. Ecclesiastes 5, 6 says, Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. You know what we need to learn to do? And I know for some this might sound like being very non-committal, and perhaps that's because it is, but we need to be more careful and to say things like, maybe later, or not now, or I got to think about that, or let me pray about that. If you begin to feel pressured into a corner to make a decision or a promise that you're not yet ready to make, you know the better thing to say to somebody is, I'm feeling pressured right now to have to make a decision, and I just can't do that. I need more time to think about it and pray about it. This is going to drive your family crazy when you say these kind of things. But listen, better to be slow and make a promise that you keep than to make a promise that you don't keep and be a liar. It's better for us to say, I got to wait on this. I got to think about this. I can't commit right now. I can't say yes right now. 
I got to think about it. I got to pray about it. I need some more time. That's much better than to be hasty with our promises and then not live up to it. Mean what you say and say what you mean. Number two, we also see in this story, don't make conditional deals with God. Don't make these conditional deals with God. Notice the vow that he makes is this if-then kind of a conditional thing here. He says to God, if you give me victory over the Ammonites, then I will sacrifice a burnt offering to you. If you do this, then I will do that. Wait a minute. You've already been filled with the Spirit of God. You have what you need. You're equipped. Go forth in the power and strength of the Lord. You don't need to make a deal with God, Jephthah, and neither do we. You have the Spirit of God. When you get born again, you get filled with the Spirit. Go forth in the Spirit and strength of the Lord. You don't need to be making these deals with God. Half of the time, we never even stick to the deals that we make. When we negotiate with God, you know, these little deals like, Oh, Lord, you know, I've been out of work for six months. Please give me this job. You give me this job, and I'll turn my life around. I'll turn my life around. You give me this job. I'll stop drinking. That's what I'll do, Lord. If you give me this job, I'll stop drinking. And then you get the job. And then you go out and celebrate with a drink. It's just foolishness. And these people are like, you know, Lord, I've made a mess of my life. Ah, oh, I made a stinking mess of my life. You get me out of the mess, Lord, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to be a missionary. Get me out of this mess. I'm going to be a missionary to some foreign country like Minnesota or something, you know. And, I, and I'm going to go to Minnesota. I'm going to serve you. And then God gets you out of the mess. And all you do is you change your accent. Oh, that was a close call, don't you know? That's all you end up doing. You never go to Minnesota. And listen, think about it. You make a deal with God like that. Like, if you do this, then I'll do this. As if anything we do is going to improve God's life. (laughs) Lord, if you do this, I'll do this. Like, I'm going to make your condition a whole lot better. As if God is up in heaven going, I have no clue what I'm going to do about Minnesota. Boy, I hope you step forward because I need you for Minnesota. Oh, thank God you did. I guess you'd say, thank me. Thank me, I did. Yeah. (laughs) We're not going to add anything to help God's condition. He's already good and perfect and fully independent. He doesn't need anything from us. So when we make these deals, they're foolish. They're completely foolish. Listen, you know why God helps us? Not because we offer anything to him, but because he offers everything to us. Is because God is motivated by his love for us. That's why he does for us what we don't deserve. It's nothing that we bring to the table that motivates God to do his good things for us. It is his love, his unconditional love for us that treats us in ways that we don't deserve because he's fulfilling his good work and his good purpose in our lives despite us. Don't make deals with God. Don't make deals with God. You know what God wants instead of negotiating with him? He wants obedience. He just wants us to do what he says, to obey him, to go forward in the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit that he's given us and to obey him, not negotiate with him, obey him. Third and final thing we see in this story is this. Unless you promise something unbiblical, illegal, or unethical, do what you say. Do what you say. You see, Japheth had made an unbiblical vow here. This was rash, it was hasty, it was unbiblical because Deuteronomy 12.31 says that God was opposed to human sacrifice. That was something that the pagans did and the people of God are to be distinct from the nations around them. God was completely offended. He abhorred human sacrifice. 
So let's say that that's the direction that Japheth was going here. This is completely offensive to God. He did something unbiblical. So was he supposed to still carry it out? No. In fact, he didn't know his own scripture, but the law of the Old Testament made gracious provision for hasty promises. And in Leviticus 27, verses 1 through 5, it says, if you dedicate someone to the Lord and you do that in haste, you could actually pay a monetary value to the priest and be absolved of the vow. For 10 shekels, according to Leviticus 27, Japheth could have been absolved of the vow that he made before God, but he didn't even know his own scripture to do the better thing. So when it comes to us, when we say things that later we realize, if I do that, that's going to be unbiblical, unethical, or illegal, are you still required to carry through with it because, you know, we're bound by our word? No, 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 no. You're not supposed to compound a sin with another sin. If you say something rashly without praying about it and thinking about it, and you realize later that it's unbiblical, unethical, or illegal, you don't add to that sin by then doing something that is unbiblical, unethical, or illegal. So what do we do now? We're under new covenant. We're under grace. What do we do now? Well, first, we have to ask forgiveness from God because he heard what we said. He takes words very seriously. Words matter to God, but we said something rashly that was impulsive and improper. But then secondly, after asking forgiveness from God, we need to go to the person that we promised in this kind of an unethical, unbiblical, or illegal way, and we need to ask him or her for forgiveness as well, saying to them, listen, after I've thought about this, I realize if I were to carry it out, this would be grievous to God. It would be unbiblical, illegal, or unethical. I can't do it, and I ask you to forgive me for saying something I shouldn't have said. Other than that... If it's not in the category of unbiblical, unethical, or illegal, it might be inconvenient. It might cost you something. You might have committed something that now you feel like you don't have the time for. Too bad. Unless it falls under one of those three categories, we must be people of our word to do what we say because the Bible says in Psalm 15:4 that God honors those who keep their word even when it hurts. Even when it hurts. In Deuteronomy 23, 23, it says, Whatever your lips utter, you must be sure to do, because you made your vow freely to the Lord your God with your own mouth. And Jesus said in Matthew 5, 37, Let your yes be yes, and your no, no. Anything else comes from the evil one, he said. The devil is actually behind motivating or manipulating us to say things beyond yes and no that cause us to not commit to do what we say. And why is this so critical? Because the character of God is such that he does what he says, and he wants his children to do likewise. Can you imagine if you read through the promises of the Bible, and there was always this little asterisk, and then at the footnotes of your Bible, it said, maybe. <laughs> no, because God is faithful. Psalm 145, 13, the Lord is faithful to all his promises. Aren't you thankful? He is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all he has made. And so should we. So, however complex this story is and bizarre somewhat, obviously, what we can take away from it, don't make rash vows or hasty promises. Don't make these conditional deals with God. And unless you say something that is unbiblical, unethical, or illegal, do what you say. Find the cornerstones, your connection run towards your new life. 
Pastor Gary has been teaching through the book of Judges, sharing the incredible lengths God goes to in order to rescue his people and teach them about himself. Sometimes God needs to use extreme circumstances to get our attention and turn us back to the path he knows is best for us. We pray you've been encouraged as you listen today and that God is working in your heart even now. If you'd like to talk with someone about what following God means for you, or if you have any questions, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call at 703-771-1500. That's 703-771-1500. This message today has been brought to you from Pastor Gary and Cornerstone Connection, a ministry of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. You're most welcome to come see us in person if you're in the area. We meet every Sunday and Wednesday as a group, and we'd love to have you be part of our services. Head to cornerstoneconnection.cc to find out more about the church and find directions and service times. While you're at our website, be sure to check out our archive of previous messages and download our mobile app to take them with you on the go. Thanks for tuning in today, and be sure to join us again for another edition of Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul, that you've got no place to go, but still you know.